I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and this is Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask podcast. So, Greg, <laughs> this morning, um, I have a couple tactics questions for you. Okay, I'm chuckling because I was just harassing Amy a little bit before we went the year, and I always get a kick out of that. It's kind of like bugging my sister kind of thing. Okay, so tactical question. All right. Oh, I'm going to rise to the occasion on this one. This first one comes from Matt. Okay, Matt. What's up? What have you found to be the best way to tactically and tactfully respond in conversation to those who claim that God spoke to them or told them to do something? Given that these alleged private messages from God are often very precious to those who claim them and form the foundation of how they view their relationship with the Holy Spirit, how do we handle these situations in a way that is both gentle and honest? These things are really hard. And I will tell you for the reasons Matt, that you just described, um, I generally let these things slide. I just let them slide. Um, actually, I was at a, a men's retreat not too long ago, and I was confronted by somebody who raised this issue with me uh, in the sense that I heard you teach that these things are not appropriate for Christians or something like that, you know, that can't be, can it? You know, kind of response. So, well, this needs to be qualified, but um, uh, my view is that God could do whatever he wants, but we can only teach what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach this as a, as something we need to learn to do. And, you know, God doesn't whisper when he does communicate. He communicates clearly in the scripture is, is replete with examples of that. Anyway, um, he got really bugged at me, which is what happens. Now, he actually asked me about it, so I gave a brief answer, knowing that I was probably uh, going, my response would trouble him, and I wasn't going to have an adequate time to deal with it. And to put it simply, it did not go that well, which is why if I can avoid these discussions in a casual situation where people are saying things like that, I just avoid them. Um, now, if there are more, uh, there are conversations that have to do with, uh, say, leadership type decisions, and a person is m making their contribution to the group decision making process, and this is what they offer. Now you have to address that a little bit more closely, and which, by the way, is one of the reasons that nobody on our stand to reason team holds that view. <laughs> and for this reason, you can't have mixed understandings of biblical decision-making when you're on a biblical, on a, a decision-making team like staff at Standard Reason. And oftentimes we are all involved giving input on decisions. And I've been, you know, I've known people who've been in churches who said they had together, everybody got together. Okay, now we've all talked about it. Now let's hear from God. Everybody go home and, you know, pray and see what God's telling them we ought to do. Okay which st strikes me as odd in the sense that what's the point of everybody talking about their own point of view and then going back and praying? Why don't you save the first meeting and just go back and pray? Because that's what's going to be considered by them as authoritative. I think maybe when you have to address this, this is where the golden, golden, golden first question comes in. What do you mean by that? Okay, now that, of course, is a model question. There's dozens of different ways to characterize it. And in this case, what you want to do is ask more carefully, what exactly is going on 
when you think, when you say that God has shown you this thing? Help me understand that. And, uh, well, it's just a feeling, or it's just a thought, or I just have this thing come in my head and I can't get it out of my head. There may be different ways to characterize it. But then the next question is, um, why would you think, oh, no, the next question would be, can you show me any place in Scripture where this kind of thing happened? Now, this has to be qualified. It's not someplace in Scripture where God intervenes in a circumstance and gives special instructions. That happens 13 times in the book of Acts, which actually isn't very many when you consider the book of Acts covers about 30 years of time, okay? Um, And each one of them is a supernatural intervention, at least where there's a description of what God did, a supernatural intervention. Angels show up, there's a vision, Jesus appears, a prophet speaks, or something like that. Or somebody is supernaturally transported to another location. These are all very powerful things. What we want to know is, where in Scripture do we have a communication from God that's communicated in a nudge-nudge, hint-hint, I think God may be telling me kind of thing? That's the important part of the question. That's called the phenomenology. How is it that you think you've gotten it? Okay, so that would be the next question. First, what do you mean by that? Describe to me what you're talking about. What's happening? How is it you receive this? Second question, can you show me anywhere in Scripture where this kind of thing is happening? Just the way you described it, the same phenomenology, okay? And uh, the, the third question is, why should we believe that this is from God. Now, that's really important. I know that in my local community a number of years ago, the the pastor, the pastor's wife wrote a letter from Jesus to a group. Okay, so Jesus is saying this. This is the way she, that's the motif. It's kind of like a Jesus calling kind of motif. Um, but she felt that Jesus was actually saying this to the group. And I was shown the letter, and I asked, did anybody ask her why we should believe that Jesus really spoke these words to her? And of course, nobody did. You know why? She was the pastor's wife. Okay, but that's the question that should be asked even of a pastor or anyone in spiritual leadership. You're convinced. I get it. Why should we be convinced that God told you these things? That's a fair question. And if there is a prophetic word given, and this claim amounts to that, and I don't see how it can be otherwise, if there is a claim, then the prophets need to be tested. Now, this is in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not despise prophetic utterance. And incidentally, I don't think this qualifies even as a prophetic utterance, but we'll just, if if this is a bona fide communication from God, it amounts to a prophetic utterance. The The individual is a voice peace for God speaking. Okay, so Paul says, don't despise that, but examine everything carefully. And this is almost never done in these circumstances. So if it's not a circumstance that you could just, okay, ignore, because it's not worth the trouble, given the nature of the circumstances, for all the reasons that Matt mentioned, these are really close to people, and they get defensive, they get their feelings hurt, and you're taking God away from them. I know the drill, all right? Um, if it's something that's more weighty than those questions, describe to me what you mean when you say that God has shown you this. 
Tell me about that. Secondly, whatever they describe, where do you find that kind of communication from God in Scripture? And thirdly, why should the rest of us trust that what you're saying actually is from God? These are all fair questions. They can be delivered in a gracious fashion, but they are important questions to ask. And if people take umbrage at the questions, which they are likely to do, even if you're nice about it, for the reasons, Matt, that you mentioned, uh, then it might be good to go to First Thessalonians 5, and it says, do not despise prophetic utterance, but examine everything question, uh, carefully. Now, if they say, well, this isn't a prophetic utterance, then you say, well, what is it? You said it was God speaking to you, right? And now you're speaking those words to us. So you're an individual speaking God's words to us. How is that different? It's another question, by the way, so that's a tactical. And you want to be really gentle with it, not accusatory in your tone of voice. And even the way I just role-played it a moment ago, I probably would be even more gentle than that. But you're asking the appropriate questions about a serious uh, spiritual practice mm-hmm. or a, a serious practice that people think is spiritual and about their spiritual lives. I think those three questions are so good, Greg. Um it's so important to get them to define what they're talking about because I know people say it in all, they mean all sorts of different things yeah. when they say God told them something. Um, and I think a lot of times it's just people not really being careful about the language they're mm-hmm. using. I mean, of course, there's a sense in which God is uh, directing our lives without our even knowing about it. We don't have to figure out what he's saying. So, Let's say you say God, right. you know, God's God's indicating I should go here. Maybe you just mean in my wisdom or in, in, Correct. Yeah. in the wisdom of, of, you know, your his moral law and his people. This is what I've come to. Um, I, th- I think people can mean all sorts of different things. And there's things. lots of times we just had our 30th anniversary a week ago today, actually. No, a week ago yesterday, our celebration was a week ago today. But we, as I look back in 30 years, I could see all the things that God did and positioned things that made all this possible, but I was never listening for any instructions to do things. I was following an entirely different motif. By the way, one question not to ask, okay? Do not ask them, how do they know it's God's Word? It's God speaking to them. Because now you're going into their subjective experience, and they're just going to, they're likely to say, I know, because I know, because I know. I know whatever. The question isn't why they are convinced that this is God speaking. The question is, where does this motif show up in Scripture? That's our second question. And the third one, why should we believe? How do we know that God is speaking to you? Not how do you know? That just pushes them back into the subjective. And uh, this is what an LDS is going to offer, you know, that kind of thing. Well, because I have the witness. I just know that I know. I know down in my knower or something like that. By the way, I think there is, that is a legitimate way of knowing things. And But but the issue here, since the claim is an, a bit extraordinary claim, even though it's made so frequently in conversation, God show, told me this, or God, I think God's telling me to go here and calling me in, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, most of the time I just leave it alone. Um because it's innocuous. If a person thinks that God's calling them to be an apologist, I'm not going to mess with the words. It's a noble enterprise. If they want to pursue it, they can do that. But don't ask them, how do they know? Because that's not going to get you anywhere. 
you want to ask him, why should we believe what you said? Since it has implications for us individually, probably, given the nature of the relationship of the group. And I know we, we, we haven't really gone into all the details on this. So on our website, if you look for Does God Whisper, there's a three-part article that will go into more details about uh, the view you're describing here, Greg. Because I do think, I do think God does sometimes give people messages. But if you are, if you're trying to interpret hints of some kind, I think that's where it goes. <laughs> yeah. Where you've really got a problem. Um, if God s- speaks something to you, first of all, I, one thing you point out is in, in the Bible, it's always an audible voice. You know, it's a, it's a message that's clearly from God. It's not anybody trying to figure something out mm-hmm. and trying to put hints together or, um, it's clearly a message from God. Well, the way I'd put it is there are some point places where it is clearly an audible voice. Moses was an example because the people heard it mm-hmm. and they said, go away, talk to God over there. He scares us, you know. And um, when the text says, like to Elijah there uh, in First Kings 19, the so-called still small voice passage, which most translations don't even have that language, God talks to him and there is a description of what he says. Okay, he's having a conversation. So whatever the phenomenology of it, it's coming to their mind in conversational form, whether it's going through their ear or not. In every case, I'm not so sure. The key that I point out in the book of Acts is that where we have a characterization of the phenomenology, the means by which the communication is made, it is always supernatural like I said, an angel shows up, or there's a vision or something, and it's crystal clear. It isn't vague. And I think that's the critical issue, because God doesn't whisper when he's trying to communicate to us. He doesn't try to talk to us, and we got the rock and roll on too loud, we can't hear him. God doesn't try. He does. And another thing I I think people misunderstand when you talk about this, Greg, you're not saying... (laughs) That the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us. of, Like, let's say we're reading a Bible passage and the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and we see very clearly something we've done wrong and we're moved to repentance. That's right. That's something you would agree that he does. Absolutely. It's a biblical um, motif of the Holy Spirit's work and it's, sub- it's subjective. Mm-hmm. It, we are experiencing the sense of the bad feeling because of what we did wrong. And we are aware that God is You could use, some people use the language, I wouldn't, but speaking to us, saying naughty, 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 straighten out. We might throw some words in there, but what's going on is is just the general conviction of the Spirit, Mm -hmm. you know? I can remember one specific time when I was reading a passage, and I was so convicted that I had to um, repair a relationship that I went to do that, and everything just fell into place just ridiculously. It was crazy. And I knew for a fact that as I was reading that passage in Ephesians, when this happened, I knew that was from God. Uh, But I wasn't, I wasn't trying to interpret hints or anything like that. It was, this is me reading the scripture and and the Holy Spirit revealing to me something that I needed to do in response to what Mm. I had just read. You know, there's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 14. There it's talking about um, tongues without interpreters. And Paul said, what's the point if you speak a tongue and there's not an interpreter? And then he gives an illustration. I call it the lesson of the uh, the bugle, okay? He said, if, if in military circumstances, you bugle, which was their comms back then, 
the bugle is meant to bugle attack or bugle retreat. If it's not clear, then how are you going to know what to do? Okay, that's the illustration. And then he says this, unless we speak with the mouth words that are clear. And now he's speaking of revelation in terms of tongues with an interpreter. How will it be known what we're to do? We'll be speaking in the air. But it turns out that multitudes of people are convinced that God is speaking with words that are not clear, and it's our job to decipher the hints or the nudges, whatever. Mm -hmm. That goes directly against the point that Paul is making regarding special revelation, in this case, tongues, um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. And I realize the context is about tongues, but there's a broad principle that he gives. Words from God need to be clear or else you can't obey them, and he's applying it to tongues. The same broad principle applies equally to other types of revelation. But there, are, and there are other ways, because I, part of this question was, uh, they, they view this as their entire relationship with God. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just trying to give people some sense of, there are many things God does beyond giving you a direction or a, a specific decision you have to make or things like that. You know, another thing, uh, God's comfort, his presence, a sense of his love. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're reading, I, I'm sure we've all had this experience where you're reading the Bible and suddenly you see God so clearly in what's written there. Like there, it's like a, a veil is taken away and you see a passage, you understand it in a way you never did before. Right. There are all sorts of ways that God interacts with us without having to go to these, um, you know, trying to interpret signs and things like, like that. The Hans, the Hans, excuse me, the Hansel and Gretel approach, you know, the little tidbits, and then we have to cobble these things all together, and hopefully we'll get it right. And I know there are people who are listening to what we're talking about who have heard other people talk like this and have tried to do it themselves, and it's been a tremendously frustrating experience. We're not sure. Is that God? Is that the devil? Is that me? Does this add up this way or does this add up that way? And my profound conviction biblically is if God has something specific he wants to tell you, he will tell you very clearly. God doesn't whisper in that sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to do one more question okay, here, Greg. Good. This one comes from Brittany Meyer. My best friend has found herself in a heretical slash cultish religion that preaches another gospel, the Hebrew Roots Movement. I feel like I have sufficient knowledge to finally engage in her false doctrines. However, I can't seem to get my emotions under control. Help. Well, I guess that depends on what emotions she has in mind. Is she sad? Is she angry? Um, she may be sad, and every time she wants to talk to her friend, knowing the error her friend is in, she she gets emotionally worked up and she she weeps or whatever. Actually, that's not a, a bad emotion to display when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to persuade them of a different point of view. It shows that you care. If you're angry, well, that's not a that's not the it, it may be understandable. But it's not the kind of emotion you want to display in a conversation like this. And as I have often said in teaching about tactics, um, if we get angry in a conversation with someone else that we're trying to persuade, we're going to lose. Okay? If we get angry, we lose. Uh, Because, um, except for in very rare cases, um, displaying anger is not persuasive to people. They get defensive. 
And um, so I, 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 that is when you, you want to, I think, wait until you can manage that. Um, it just depends on the emotion she's dealing with, I guess. I can certainly understand it. I think about Galatians. I mean, Paul's is pretty, pretty emotional. Pretty bug. <laughs> you foolish Galatians. And it's over the same issue. It's it's over the issue of the gospel and people adding law into the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely understand getting, and I've experienced this too. There were, I used to get a lot of questions about the Hebrew roots. I don't as much anymore, but I would get really upset when people would be confused by it because here somebody is uh, distorting the gospel, which is the beautiful thing that we've been given by God, and they're turning it into something terrible. Mm-hmm. And they're confusing people with it. So I I can absolutely understand having to deal with that. And so can Paul. So you're in good company <laughs> to you know, start it, off with. It's, it, I'm just having a reflection here. Um, maybe in September at my 50th spiritual birthday, I will read this testimony that I wrote, I think, two years into my Christianity. And I was being trained to give testimonies of your life. So I wrote this whole thing out like four minutes or something like that. And I read it just uh, last week. And it was very interesting um, that one of the emphases that I that was a focus of my testimony was the grace of God. And um, if you think about all the aberrant movements, they are either based on the, um, the, the person of Christ and distortions of who he is, that was a lot of the earlier heresies. But the first heresy was the Galatian heresy, which is what Paul was dealing with there. And the, the Jews were in Acts chapter 15 in the council there in Jerusalem of adding works to grace. And I, I'm so thankful that I had such a rich um, training in the grace of God, secure foundation in the grace of God right from the outset. Um, that that really has held me in good stead my whole Christian life and understanding the forgiveness that we have. Without forgiveness, we're all lost, but with the forgiveness, we're completely rescued. And uh, there's still discipline, as we've talked about before, before, but if you look at all of these groups that go south, whether it's LDS, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it's this group, the Hebrew, whatever. Hebrew, Hebrew roots. Of, yeah, and other things like that. They they cannot avoid the temptation to build works into salvation, and all of these groups do that. And um, I, 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 I'm, there's an observation somebody else made. I don't think I made this, but it's a powerful one in the Book of Romans, where Paul is explaining the grace of God. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, for him who does not work but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, to him it's reckoned as righteousness. That's chapter 4. He is preaching grace so aggressively that it could be mistaken for license. And that's why he deals with that objection in the beginning of chapter Mm 6. So if we are not preaching grace so aggressively that it might be understood as license, Oh, you could do whatever you want, as Paul puts it. Oh, sin all the more so that grace may increase. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. You don't get it. If you died to sin, how can you live in sin? That's chapter 6. And so um, the point being, though, that hinge there at the beginning of chapter 6 
is he's he's clarifying what grace does in our life because he's so strong in emphasizing grace, it could be misunderstood as license. And if you're trying to do so-called balance, a little bit of grace and a little bit of law, or a lot of grace and a lot of law, this is not biblical. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. In another place, Paul says, it's either grace or it's law. It's not It's not both, okay? And as a matter of fact, he points out, it's grace, therefore it's not law. But this is a, a tell for all kinds of aberrant groups. They go after the grace of God, and they want to add human merit to it in some fashion. Yeah, thanks, Greg. I, I have two quick suggestions, Brittany, for what you can do in this situation. Because as Greg said, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to reveal that you're emotional about this to your friend. One thing you could do is say, look, I'm just going to apologize in advance because, you know, if you look at what Paul, his reaction in Galatians, you can see how how upset he is because he values the gospel so much. And that's how I feel. And when I look at what you're saying, what I'm hearing is uh, that you're changing the gospel. So let's talk about that. And and I apologize if if I get emotional about that, but I think this is important enough that that emotions are going to happen. Uh-huh. And so you could just acknowledge that right off the bat. And then secondly, I would make your goal clarity. So what you want to do is lay out what the Bible says about the gospel and about the law as clearly as possible. Mm-hmm. And you're going to leave it in God's hands because this is a spiritual issue that's happening here. Uh, so what I would do is just have your goal be clarity. You want to make sure when you leave that conversation, she can explain exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying mm-hmm. and leave the persuading to God. And that takes some of the pressure off of you. And I think that will also help. Yeah, that's excellent. I know we're a little over time, but let me off on two more things. What you just said is critical. Uh, Dennis Prager says, clarity, not necessarily agreement. That's great. You move for clarity and then you let God take over from there. And the second thing is we have this wonderful worker at Stand to Reason. Her name's Rebecca, and she lives in Utah, and she talks with Mormons, and she's asked them, what must I do to be saved? Okay, what what do I need? What's the, And they write the whole list out. You do this, 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 and this. And then they said to her, well, what what's on your list? And she writes one word and turns it around, and she, they see it, and it just says, Jesus, Jesus. I thought that was brilliant the way she put it, because that's really what Mm -hmm. it comes down to, the simplicity of faith in the only rescuer. Mm -hmm. And he rescues completely. And on top of that, um, Paul even takes it farther, because in Galatians, he says, having been saved by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? There you go. So now he's talking about sanctification, and sanctification does not come through following the law in that way. Um, So. Anyway, there's there's a lot. I mean, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews. What am I missing here? Every- Galatians, Ephesians, <laughs> Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. Yeah, we just go through the list. But Romans and Galatians, especially, I think. Titus. Yeah, I would go through those because he is so. This was such a big issue in the early church. There's so much in the New Testament about the law. It kind of astounded me when I I first started looking, you know, reading through the the New Testament over and over, and, and I realized how much of it had to do with that particular issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, there you go, Brittany. Hopefully that will help you respond, and uh, we 
we pray that God opens your friend's eyes. And thank you, Matt. And if you have a question, send it on Twitter with the hashtag STRask or go through our website at str.org. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. Yeah.